In 2009, the like button was introduced on Facebook. How many of you are still, I know it's like the young people think it's like an older person thing to do, but how many of you are still on Facebook? Raise your hand. Everybody still on Facebook? Yeah, 40 and above, still on Facebook. Uh, It was a way, the like button, for people to digitally applaud a, a post or a picture. Hey, great job there. I like what you did. I like that picture of your breakfast for some reason that you're posting. Uh, I like this picture of you bragging on your kids or, or this thing you made. And so uh, it was just a way to get applause for people to pat you on the back. The like buttons engineer, Justin Rosenstein, deleted his Facebook app. And he believes he created a monster. He described Facebook likes as bright dings of pseudo-pleasure. There's a real psychological high associated with receiving a like on social media. One psychologist said it's a reward cycle. You get a a little squirt of dopamine every time you get a like or a positive response on social media. And the more praise you get, guess what? The more praise you what? The more praise you crave. And I believe this is true not just with, with social media, but in all of life. There's a temptation to do things, to succeed, to pursue certain endeavors for the applause and approval of man because it feels good. feels good when people praise you. We crave the praise that comes with being a good athlete. I know anytime one of my children does something good, they immediately look to the sideline as if to say, was that good, Dad? Did you like what happened there? Did you see what happened there? We want to be validated for our performance at work. We want to get recognized. We, we say certain things and live in a certain way for approval. Now, that's not inherently bad, but it is dangerous if you live for likes. This temptation for applause can seep into our faith. We're called to certain practices as kingdom citizens. Jesus is king. His kingdom has come, not in full, but it manifests when we pursue certain things, service, prayer, giving, missions, when we do the will of God. But if we're not careful, you and I can pursue these things, not not to please God, not out of a love for God, but out of a desire to be seen, praised, and applauded by, by others. And this motivation for pursuing Christ, I believe it dishonors God, number one. But it also will lead to burnout, frustration, and death. If you live for applause, you will burn yourself out. It's not a way to live. And today, Jesus confronts our desire for that sort of approval. This life of living for likes. Turn to Matthew 6 in your Bible. Have it in front of you. Matthew 6, Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount discussing kingdom character and the Beatitudes. This is what it looks like for kingdom people. They're going to be poor in spirit. They're going to acknowledge their humility before God. They're going to mourn their sin. They're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. He then talks about, right after the Beatitudes, to be salt and light, to make a difference in our world, to show the the goodness of God and how we love people, serve people, so that others may praise God. He next described the righteousness greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees. Not an external righteousness, but 
a heart-driven righteousness. Jesus now turns our attention to the manner in which we are to pursue that righteousness. And in the manner into which we are to do the, the will of God, the things of God. And so look at verse 6, or I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to read that one more time. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So this principle is going to unite everything we will talk about today. And it'll be up here on the screen. If you want to write something down, it's a good thing to write down. Faith rewarded by God is not practiced for man's applause. Faith rewarded by God is not practiced for man's applause. The term to be seen, don't practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. That term is theomai. It's where we get the word theater. If we practice our righteousness, In order to be seen, it's nothing but an act. It's a performance for an audience. And this theatrical righteousness has no true reward. We tend to think of reward as material gain. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I think he's saying they're not blessed with things like God's presence, God's favor, or or spiritual growth and sanctification. Moreover, the person whose religiosity is nothing but an external act, it's all show and and no go, you you have to question whether their faith is real at all. Jesus then gives us three examples and two pictures of faith. Faith that is practiced for the approval of man and a faith that is practiced to to please God. And we're going to run through this passage relatively quickly so uh, keep, up, keep up with us. Look at 6.2. Thus, when you give to the needy, he's talking about giving, giving, giving. That was my country self coming back. He's talking about giving. Um, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Doesn't Jesus doesn't say if, he assumes when. When we give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet like who? Like the hypocrites do. Now, there's no actual evidence that people would go around uh, blowing a a trumpet. I I think uh, he's speaking in in an exaggerated way here. I mean, it's it's not hard to get what he's saying. You know, don't toot your own horn. Don't toot your own horn when you give. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but... But look, everybody look how generous I am. You know, don't don't toot your own horn as the hypocrites do. A hypocrite was an actor who wore a a mask and pretended to be someone they were not. We use it today to describe someone who looks one way or talks one way, but yet their their inner life is is anything but what they what they preach. They don't they don't practice what they preach. They're, They're a hypocrite. Hypocrites gave in the synagogues and streets. These were actually not abnormal places to give. 
They gave in the synagogues and streets, but they did it in a way that caused attention and, and fed their vanity. Jesus gives those practicing this theatrical righteousness a promise. They're going to get their reward. By giving in this way, they're, they're buying the applause of man. And in many cases, they probably got that. But that's all they got. Oh, look at that person give over there. But that was the extent of, of their reward. It was temporal, fleeting praise by man. Look at three and four. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. <laughs> to move our hearts away from the desire for applause, Jesus uses an idiom, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, it's, he explains what it means, just give in, give in secret. You don't need to make a big deal out of, out of your generosity because God makes a big deal out of it himself when you do that. We're not to be prideful givers, vain givers, people who toot our own horn when it comes time to be generous. It's one of the reasons we don't have an offering box in the back. We used to. We took it out. I don't like offering boxes because you can strut to an offering box. You can make a scene in an offering box, writing your check. Look at me. I'm the type of person that gives. You can actually go cash your, your, your hundred or whatever for a bunch of ones and be like, toot, toot. Look, I'm just trying to cram all this money into the offering box. It's, it's why I love giving online. And, and guys, we've, we've really only recently talked about generosity. We've done it a couple times before. Uh, but Jesus is talking about it, so we've got to talk about it. I mean, you giving is important. Your giving blesses this church. Your giving helps us move to sustainability so that we can support ourselves as a family when you give, when you're generous. But I, I want you to do it to please God, not me or Greg or anybody else. Guess what? I don't know who gives, and I don't know how much you give. So if you're looking like, hey, Larry sees this, I want a nice seat, I want a good parking spot out front, this may not be the type of place for you because I, no, I have no idea uh, who of you gives or, or how much you give. And the reason being is I want it to be between you and God. I want you to, to honor God and love God enough to, to let that be enough. We, we as, as a family have been blessed by quiet benefactors at different times in our life. Man, in seminary, we were eating, uh, we were going to the food banks and eating like two-week-old cake. Still taste, you know what two-week-old cake tastes like? One-week-old cake. You know what one-week-old cake tastes like? Two-day-old cake. Nothing tastes as good as one-day cake because it's kind of warm and nice. But it was just as fine. We were eating cheap, and we get, get a letter in the mail. No return address. No name. I, I mean, I couldn't figure out whose handwriting it was. And there'd be cash in the envelope and nothing else. And it would just be, hey, uh, I pray that you could use this. I pray that this could bless your family. No desire for recognition. No desire for thanks. It was between them and God. And in that, I believe that that person, whoever did that, whoever they are, I still don't know who it is, that they were blessed with peace and joy, greater knowledge and understanding of God's generosity, God's people. God's people are to practice their righteousness, not for man's applause. Faith rewarded by God is not practiced 
for man's applause. Look at 6.5. And when you pray, he's going to giving. Now he's talking about prayer. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they too have received their reward. You switch to the topic of prayer. Now, Jesus doesn't hate public prayer. Some of you are like, yes, I don't have to pray in public. We'll talk about that here in a second. The Lord's Prayer, guess what? It says, Our Father. It's a communal prayer for people to pray together out loud. What Jesus is stressing is the right motives behind our public prayers. It's the right motive behind prayer. These men were praying in the street corners, in the synagogues, again, normal places to pray, but why were they there? To get the applause of others. There was an audience, and they got what they wanted, temporal, fleeting applause. But they received nothing more. These are the kinds of prayers that God may not answer. If you're just praying to be seen, to impress others, I'm not sure that these are the type of prayers that God looks forward to hearing. <laughs> Look at verse 6. But when you go, pray in your room, and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus' point here isn't, isn't about location, but attitude. Now, most of your prayer life should be behind closed doors. A majority of your prayer life should be with the door closed and a quiet place between you and God. But even when we pray publicly, our hearts should be so focused on God that, that true communion happens with, with you and him. It's as if your doors are closed. It's as if you're in a room with the doors shut. I believe these are the type of prayers that, that God hears. Now, some of you are terrified to pray in public. I just, I hear it all the time. It's guys, I don't like praying in public. Guess what? That's just the same side of the, uh, the other side of the same coin. You're not off the hook. The fear of praying in public is the opposite side of the same coin. Like the religious leaders, you are too worried about what other people think. <laughs> Instead of desiring applause, you fear rejection which is the same thing, an unhealthy focus on the opinions of others. I don't want to pray a stupid prayer for others to make fun of me or think less of me or maybe they're going to think I'm not as spiritual. It's the same thing. You're worried about the approval of, of other people. So he says, this is how you pray. Look at 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus talks about prideful, showy prayer to babbling prayer, characterized by the Gentiles being unnecessarily long with, with flowery rhetoric, endless repetition, meaningless gibberish. If I can just get these words right, then I can maybe manipulate, manipulate God into doing what I want him to do. So I'm just going to keep going and going and going. Jesus says, don't be like them. Now, Jesus isn't against a, a long prayer. 
He's against thoughtless, self-centered prayers that are used to manipulate God. Look at verse 9. Pray then like this. Jesus is going to say, pray like this. Be direct, be, be sincere, be authentic. He's going to give us a list of different things to pray about. We don't have to pray exactly like this all the time. It's good to pray exactly like this sometimes. But I think these are themes to include into our prayer life. I'm going to be honest. Most of our prayer life is one-dimensional. God, I need. God, I need. God, I need. God, help me. God, help. Help! That's, mo- that's honestly most of our prayer life is just walking around. Sometimes we go, help! God, help! And, and that's really, oh, it's these guys again. And uh, help! That, that's, I need this real quick. Uh, right now. Uh, I didn't study for my test, but I need, I need your help right now. Um, we, we do that sort of, this bad thing happened right now. I need you. And, and so he gives us kind of a fuller picture uh, to, to pray about. And we're going to cover this in, in, a, in a few months, this, this actual prayer uh, in full as we work through a series on prayer. But I'm just going to hit some highlights today. He says, pray then like this. Look at the rest of verse nine. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. One's name was who they were, everything about them. God, everything about you be honored as holy. Prayer should be about worship. First and foremost, God, you are mighty. God, you are good. How many of your prayers actually start with praise? How much does praise and worship take up of your prayer life? It's a good thing to ask. How does Jesus start? With praise. We praise God. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray that your kingdom comes in full. In the meantime, we pray that your divine purpose is to be realized in my life today. This is about submission. God, help me to do what you want. May your, may your will be done in my life. So, so far in this prayer, we haven't even gotten to us. (laughs) It's been about God's goodness, God's greatness, God's power, God's glory. Now it's about aligning our lives unto God's will. You are king. You are sovereign. You are ruler. Help me to live in light of your kingdom. May your kingdom come in full one day. But may your kingdom be manifested in my life today. Let my life align with your kingdom purposes. Then we get to the asking. But it's a specific type of asking. Look at verse 11. Give us our daily bread. It doesn't say give us our yearly bread. Hey, can you give me enough bread for five years? Hey, can you hook me up with a little retirement bread that won't go bad? Some 401k, you know, a sourdough or something like that. Pregnant person in the audience went, ooh, sourdough. (laughs) It's not give me what I crave and what I desire. Give me what I need today. But but here's the context. He's talked about praising God. He's talked about submitting to God. Give me what I need today to do what you want me to do. Give me my daily bread today so that I trust in you, so that I can... Do the things you, you desire for me to do so that I can love my family well. God, I need a job. I need a job that I can glorify you in and pursue you and love others. Uh, I need faith to, to go out and, 
and uh, help others. Uh, God, I, I may even just need money to pay my rent so that I can live and, and support my family so that I can raise them up to know you. This is about supplication is what this is called. But it's not for our, our desires, our wants to be used for pleasure. I, I think God gives us those good things at times. But here in this prayer, it's give me what I need. Supply me with what I need to, to do your will today. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We are to confess our sins. It's about confession. Not to be saved again and again and over and over but to help us restore our hard hearts to fellowship with God. How often does your prayer life involve confessing sin? Man, I've fallen short today. Blessed are those who mourn for their sin. It's about being real and honest. And, and we don't stay there and beat ourselves up. We, we rest in the grace of God. But that first means to do that, we got to be honest about our junk. Look at 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Not only forgive us, but help us not to fall into sin. Give us discernment and deliver me from the trap of temptation. Help me to, to see my propensity to sin before I even do that. Sometimes we ask for God's help when it's too late. But, but help me not even to, to fall into that trap. Help me to make the decision before I have to make a hard decision. Help me make the easy decisions now that, that don't lead me down a path that makes it harder to, to resist temptation later. Lead me not into temptation. Now, some of you have a doxology after that. How many of you, does anybody have a, a different Bible that has, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever? Uh, that's probably not in the original manuscripts. That's at least my belief. It's not terrible. Uh, you know, uh, I, I've said that before. Um, praying with other people. I'm not like, stop it. That's not in the Bible. Uh, it's probably based off of 1 Chronicles 29, uh, but that's why some of you may have it, some of you may not have it in your Bibles because it's not found in the earliest manuscripts. Look at 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He just adds a little addendum here which is a callback to verse 12, as if he really wants to hammer this part home. Forgiven people do what? They forgive. Forgiven people forgive. If not, they may not fully understand God's forgiveness. They may not fully understand what God's done for them. So again, we took a little sidetrack on prayer, just as Jesus did, but let's come back to the main idea. We do not need to use flowery, exhaustive prayers to get God's attention. We're not use our prayer to impress others, but God says, be sincere, be, be simple, and be direct with God as you include these, these things. And I think these are the type of prayers that, that God uses. Faith rewarded by God is not practice for man's applause. And there's, there's one more practice one more that he warns us against in verse 16. And when you fast, it's not eat. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. 
Fasting had many different functions in Jesus' day. It was usually to mourn for your sin or to, to humble your soul. Christians today fast. They go different periods. Some can go for a day, for days, for hours. Um, we, we fast so that God may be f- first in our lives, more important to us than, than food. It's a time of drawing close to him, our, our hunger when you fast. It reminds you of your dependence on him. The Pharisees, they fasted every second and fifth day of the week, which were major market days with large audiences, and they would put on a, a sackcloth and, and, and throw ashes on their face, and they would tear their clothes, and they would put on a, a whole production. Lights, smoke machine. In doing so, they received what they were seeking, but nothing more. Look at 17 and 18, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret reward you. Jesus says, when you put on oil, oil was a normal thing to do before uh, the day, which, uh, you know, clean your face up. And he essentially says, as you fast, just be a normal person. (laughs) Don't be a bragging faster. You know, people love to talk about their diets all the time. They love to talk about what they're eating or not eating. If I I hear one more word about, oh, I'm intermittent fasting. (laughs) You know, I I I eat eat half an hour a day and I eat whatever I want. I I take a plate of donuts and I put marinara sauce and cheese on it. (laughs) And you, when you intermittent fast, you can just eat whatever you... I mean, we love to talk... I'm doing Whole30. I'm doing Whole30 right now, guys. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm counting my points. It's Weight Watchers time. He's saying, you, know, you don't need to talk about it. Just, just do it. <laughs> be low-key. Be authentic. Be, be real. If your heart is to seek God's face... When you fast, that happens when we come to him with a heart that desires him not to impress others. Faith rewarded by God is not practiced for man's applause. And I'm going to say this, and and I want you to really hear me because we live in a culture addicted to praise. Faith practiced for man's applause will lead to burnout. Frustration and death. In addiction to alcohol or drugs, it has obvious negative consequences. But an approval addiction masked with piety is just as soul-shattering. Approval can be a good thing. It's, it's, it's not bad when, you know, I, I desire for, for my wife to to be proud of how I act, how I treat people, how I love people. Not, not, not a desire for my kids to, to you know, seek, seek approval of, of their parents and of their authorities. Like, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but the craving for approval, it can turn very dark very quickly. Approval junkies are, are slaves to what others think. I want you middle schoolers, you, you high schoolers, you young people to 
to listen to me here for a second. The, the desire for approval. You will become a slave. My son has his head in his sweatshirt right now. You will become a slave to what other people think. You will be constantly terrified to disappoint young people. You will say yes to harmful actions and no to to healthy opportunities to please other people. Approval junkies. I don't care if you're young or old. You're fragile. You're fragile. I heard this a long time ago. If you live for praise, you will die by criticism. I'm going to say that once more time. If you live for praise, you will die by criticism. Life is good when you're getting praised. Oh, man. I feel great. I'm going to go to bed. Honey, what a great day today. Uh, you know, all these people said I did a good job. Hey, let's go out. Let's go get, you know, Shake Shack. Let's go somewhere fun. Uh, let's go, you know, go, go, hey, great day. You sleep good. What happens when that praise disappears? You will be discontent with life. You'll be frustrated in, in, in what you're doing. You'll be angry. You'll be mean to those around you. you start to point your finger and blame. When people don't press the like button of your life. That's the problem with seeking the approval of man. People are fickle. I'm fickle. Human beings are fickle. They will love you one second and crush you the next. We see it all the time in culture. They will praise you one second and destroy your life. And the next, who are you trying to please as you practice your faith? If it's man, I'm, I'm going to urge you, if it's man, come back to the gospel. If you are too worried about what others think, come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we place our faith in Christ, when his, his work on the cross applies to our lives, our sins are forgiven. We are approved by God. Not for who we will become. He does not say, hey, I'm, we're good. Don't necessarily approve with you until you become this super spiritual person down the road, until you have all your ducks in a row, figured out. God has not approved some future version of yourself. He has approved you because you have been covered in the blood of Christ. The, the God of the universe in Christ, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, has approved of you. He doesn't approve of you when you pray big spiritual prayers. He doesn't say, hey, Larry, today's service, that sermon was very marginal. But, but next, oh, you killed it, though, the week after when you were, oh, you were going, man. You were, hey, you prayed this really, you know, this prayer kind of, I mean, come on, man. That was a C minus prayer. But, but now when you pray this big A-level prayer that other people are like, ooh, ah, man, this guy is really religious. No, no. 
He approves of me now, today. Because of the blood of Jesus. Realize that that, that approval is not fleeting or, or fickle. It's rooted in the steadfast love of God. If, if, if you take that to heart, that's why I say, come back to the gospel. If you take that gospel truth to heart, we need not desire the unsatisfying approval of man or the fear of rejection. I know that there are some of you, myself included, who have been way too concerned about what others think. And it seeps into our, our faith. It seeps into the way we pray. It seeps into how we serve. I, I could never lead in kids. I, I could never, I made me mess up if I'm having a teach. I don't know, like all that, all that is a desire for approval. The fear of rejection. Come back to the gospel. Come back to the gospel. And as you do that, you will lose a taste for the applause of others. Your hunger for God will grow and you will seek his face no matter who is, no matter who is observing you. No matter who is looking. Amen? Let's pray.